starting a new message series. Dan was pointing that out. Hope is here. And understand we're saying two things with this message, just, just kind of let you know, but right, right out of the gate. Um, we're saying that hope has arrived, right? Hope is finally here. Hope is here, right? You don't have to wait any longer. Many of you have already found hope. Many of you came here this morning, or maybe you're listening to my voice thinking, I, I, I hope I can find hope today. Well, I, I want to tell you hope, hope is here, right? It, it's now. It's a temporal thing. It's, it's now. You don't have to wait any longer. Um, but the second thing we're saying is that hope isn't just anywhere. It can't, it, it's not found in anything. Um, our world promises a lot, right? If you buy the right car, you buy the right clothes, your, your world is going to be filled with hope and unicorns and rainbows and everything is going to be wonderful. But you all know that's really not true, right? You get home and it's got a hole in it, a moth already ate a hole in it. Then you got to return it and it's not the right size and it's just it's horrible and you lose hope. You lose hope. Um, but the second thing we want to tell you is that hope isn't just anywhere. It's very, very specific, right? Hope is found somewhere very, 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 very specifically. In fact, it's, it's found in a person. It's not even found in a location. It's found in a person. And you guys all know it's found in, in Jesus Christ. Um, and we're going to show you the way uh, by which you're going to find that home hope with this series. But I just want to acknowledge right here at the start of this series on hope um, that during the past year and a half, and you guys recognize this, there's never, it's never been easier to lose hope, right? I mean, I mean, our world has been at each other's throat for about a year, year and a half now, just really volatile, right? I, I mean, I'm afraid to go on social media. I've mentioned this before. I've introduced half a dozen sermons with this exact same idea, this crazy year and a half that we've been, we've been living in. Um, never have I seen so many people, and I chose these words very carefully, yoked up, um, puffed up, lawyered up, and Bibled up for, bi for, for battle, right? I, I mean, seriously, I mean, the, the, even Christians, right? They're pulling out their Bibles, and I, I think I can hurt my enemy with this, right? It's not that I can love my enemy with this, but I, I think I can nail them with this one. I think I found the passage that I can, t you're wrong. <laughs> you're wrong on this. And, and we do. We're carrying around our Bibles like they're like a weapon, not a weapon of love, but a weapon of hurt, like I'm going to defeat my human enemy with my Bible and, and puffed up and, and, and yoked up. I don't know if any of you guys recognize that term, yoked up. Uh, guys do this a lot. If they're going to go out and be in public with a muscle shirt, they won't do it before they weight lift. They'll, they'll weight lift first and it'll kind of puff up their muscles, right? And so it looks like that's the way they look all the time, but they're just yoked up. That's, that's what it's called, yoked up. I love that phrase. But, but again, you look around the world, and if, if you've been look, hoping and praying for God's kingdom to uh, be evident here on earth as it is in heaven this past year, I, I don't blame you if you've lost hope in love and, and forgiveness and, and peace and grace. Man, it's been hard to find. It, it's just not everywhere this past year and a half. It, it's kind of hidden, kind of hidden itself. Um, Lots of folks have even given up on the church, the earthly body of Christ, right? Where God's kingdom reigns on earth as it does in heaven. They've even given up on that place. That's kind of scary. Now, I want to acknowledge um, during this past year and a half, a ton of the stuff that's been thrown at us is, is beyond our control, right? There, there's, I mean, that, that's probably what's made people so mad is that that they feel like control has been taken from them when they wanted that control. We humans, we, we, we just have this need to control and to, and, and to have our thumb on, on absolutely everything. And then when things are out of control, we get a little jittery. We get a little nervous stomach and, and 
You know, that's just the way we are. Um, so again, I acknowledge a lot of stuff this past year and a half, totally, totally out of our control. But I also am absolutely convinced this morning, and I just want to share with you this morning, um, a lot of the, the out-of-controlness, a lot of the, uh, the loss of hope this past year, and, and in years past even, it's really a lot of our own doing too. I mean, we've, we've got stuff that's not in our control, but quite a bit of it is in our control. It's based on our choices, right? We, we make really poor choices like, you know, getting yoked up and puffed up and lawyered up and Bibled up to defeat our enemies instead of loving our enemies, we make the wrong choices, right? We, we buy into the choices of the world. This is the way the world operates. This is not the way the body of Christ operates. We don't yoke up and puff up for battle, right? We, we give ourselves sacrificially in love to our enemies. Now, again, whether it's self-inflicted or not, doesn't matter. Vince Lombardi nailed it when he said this, fatigue makes cowards of us all. I'll just let that sink in for a second, right? You know this, right? The, the, the day before, maybe the night before, you're, you've got your day lined up, and, and man, you're, you're going to knock some things down. You're going you're to get some things done on your list, and then by about, oh, 2 o'clock, you're just tired. <laughs> Fatigue set in, and those amazing things that you were going to do, maybe tomorrow. <laughs> right? When we're tired, we, we, we're really poor heroes when we're tired, Oh, they'll make it fine. They don't need a hero. I need a nap, right, more than they need a hero. And this is just, you know, fatigue. It just makes cowards of us all. And again, by the choices we make, the, the choices that we're allowed to make in life, again, not all of them we have the power to make, um, we humans have this crazy self-destructive tendency to live life on the edge. Let me, let me re- to live life without margin. I think that's the better way of saying it, right? We, we max out everything, absolutely everything in our life. We just, right, no margin. We fill our calendars. We can't say no to overtime pay, right? There's no extra time to be at church for that extra ministry because, you know, we got to take care of our own. And we just got this idea that if we don't take care of our own, and I'm not talking about our church family, I'm talking about our, our own biological families or our opinion groups or our political parties, or, or, or any of those kind of things, um, like if we don't control it and if we don't take care of it, somehow we're going to lose it, right? We, we got this crazy idea that if we slow down and we don't accumulate enough stuff for us and our own, then somehow we're going to miss out on everything. We're going to miss out on life. And so we humans, we just, we strive and we strive and we strive and we try to collect up and store up. And once our garage is filled, what do we do? We go out and buy a storage unit and so we can store up more stuff and more stuff. And like the rest of the world is just looking at us going, you guys are crazy. We could use so much of that stuff that you got locked up in storage units that you thought would bring you hope. And, and now all you're doing is sitting at home hoping that the rats aren't getting into the storage unit eating away at your hope. <laughs> You're just, you're, you're just, just frazzled. You, you've collected so much stuff, and it's fatiguing. It's tiring. It's just tiring trying to control and trying to accumulate and, and then control what you've accumulated and make sure that nobody gets a hold of it. No, no one touches it. At a certain point, we just get so tired that we lose hope. And I've seen this in the commercials. I've seen this online. And it seems to me that most people, the only thing that they can handle at this point is a bottle of wine and the TV remote. 
right? I'm, I'm hearing that everywhere. Right? Just give me a bottle of wine and the TV remote and just let me be because I've lost hope in everything and this is the only way I can, this is the only way I can, I can function. But here's what Jesus says. Check this out. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Right? And if you're not, I don't think it'll be too big of a stretch for you to think for a moment and recall some people in your lives who this fits really well. Right? So kind of open up your mind to some people who are, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So considering these words of Jesus and what I've said so far this morning, a simple question, does Jesus think that we need a nap? Is this what he's driving at here? Like, like we just need more sleep and, and then that will restore our hope, right? I, honestly, sometimes that's the way I feel. Like, just let me go to sleep and in the morning everything will be beautiful again because right now everything's horrible. Just let me leave reality and go to sleep. Anybody ever do that? No. No, that's why I take naps. I don't want to face my day. I'm going to go take a nap. Um, does he think we need a nap, or might he be referring to something like taking a break or getting relief from our troubles, right? Maybe like what you tell your kid when they've asked the same question, like for the 300th time, or they've asked 300 questions in the last three minutes, and you say, with all the love that you can muster, give it a rest, right? Give it a rest, <laughs> Please, child, I love you, but give it a rest. I think this is what God is saying. This is what Jesus is saying is that we can give it, we can give it a rest, right? Our, our troubles can be given a rest, and he's going he's gonna to show us how. It's, it's rather amazing. Um, so the question now, if that's the right answer, which I, which I believe it is, um, how does the yoke and burden of Jesus give us rest or relief from our troubles? It sounds to me like a, a yoke that someone's going to put around my neck and I'm going to be attached to apparently a cow, um, and then I got a burden on my back. I'm like, that's not rest, right? I, I mean, any of you, you think it's like, that it sounds like you're setting me up for a Saturday work day <laughs> down at the church. That's what this is sounding like. Not like I get to sleep in on a Saturday morning. No, not at all. Not at all. Um, so again, what is, what is the yoke and what is the burden of Jesus that, that can give us rest. And for the answer, we have to go all the way back to Genesis. I mean, you, you hate it. Oh, Pastor Jerry, can't you just give us a simple answer? Why you got to? My daughter's always told me that. I want to look at Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. It says this By the seventh day, God had finished the work that he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Now, let me just ask you this. If you're on a construction site or if you're at work and it's crunch time, right, all hands on deck, do you think it's okay to go to your boss and say, you know, hey, man, I'm going to go into my back office here. I'm going to shut the door and turn out the light. I need a nap. <laughs> What's your boss going to say? <laughs> turn in your keys. <laughs> go, go nap at home. Don't come back. to. I, I don't know. Maybe he'll, he'll be nice and he'll, he'll say something like, look, look, you can rest, you can rest when the job is done, or you know, you can rest when the day is over or when the job is done. But right now, no, all hands on deck. No, no rest right now. All everybody, everybody's everybody's involved right now. No, you're, again, you're, your boss isn't going to let you take a nap. He, he sees that there is a job to be done. And, and the thing that's on his mind more than anything else is everybody can take a rest. Once the job's done, 
Again, to the boss, it's not the end of the day. To the boss, it's when the job is done. Now, you, the employee, you just want 5 o'clock to roll around. That's all you care about. But the boss, he's not going to rest until the job is done, until whatever they're building, and Gary, you can tell me, you know, when you build the crazy things you build, when it's finally operating the way it's supposed to be operating, you can rest finally, right? You can kind of rest easy because until it's operating the way it's supposed to operate, there's a lot of stress involved, right? There's just, you know, you, you don't sleep at night, you're, you're awake early in the morning, you're up late at night, and, and until it works like it's supposed to work, and then, whew, this is the picture right here in Genesis. In the six days of creation, God got everything working so that, it, so that all of creation could love one another, could love God and love neighbor, right? Everything, everything would be working. Listen to this. This is in verse 3. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now, now, now recognize, he didn't like muscle creation. He spoke. Because that's not, that's, there's no mention of being tired here. So don't, don't, don't go there. This, this is not fatigue like that kind of fatigue, right? Again, only when everything that creation needed to fully flourish with life, only when all creation had everything it needed to lovingly serve God and neighbor, only then could God say, all right, now I can rest. On the seventh day, he sat back. Like everything is in place for you all to absolutely flourish everything that you need. And now I can sit back and rest, not, not stop. Please don't ever read it that way, not stop, but rest from creating and making it work properly because now it works properly, right? I'm done. In fact, this is what Jesus said on the cross when he gave up his spirit. What do you say? It's finished. Literally meaning, my work is now complete, and I can now rest. Now, by this point in the creation story, God's given graciously, again, everything that humanity needed, absolutely everything to flourish, to enjoy life to the fullest, nothing missing. And just like when you give your little kids, like, just everything, and what do they do? Right? I, you set up a party. No, I want to I go in my room and take a nap right now. <laughs> Jesus, in chapter 11 of Matthew, we're going to look at it in just a little bit. He starts, he, he rides on the people just a little bit. He's like, hey, you know, you, you say you want to dance, and so I pull out my instruments, and then you say you don't want to dance. Right? You're sad, so I pull out my, my, my funeral instruments, and you say, well, no, we don't want to be sad right now. The people are so fickle, so incredibly, incredibly fickle in everything that they do. Humanity, we're just that way. We, 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 we think we want this, and then we want that. And we couldn't rest. We simply couldn't rest in his goodness, right? We simply could not rest in his goodness and trust in his faithfulness and his provision. Maybe we need to start hedging our bets, right? Stockpiling on the side. You know, that serpent was saying some things. Maybe this God isn't as trustworthy as he seems, and maybe... He's not looking out for us, and maybe we need to take control ourselves and start taking care of things. Again, and ever since then, humanity has been on this one long binge of self-serving, hoarding, and striving, and attempting to take control from God and never finding rest for our souls, never trusting in his goodness and his provision, and we gradually lose hope along the way. 
Psalm 46 says this. Um, this, is, this Psalm 46 is an interesting psalm. Uh, Martin Luther, back in the Reformation, not Martin Luther King Jr., the German guy, um, he, he, would, he would get depressed sometimes. He would just get down. And, and, and his co-workers, he would say, ah, let's go sing the 46th Psalm. And, and, and I know I've talked to people, the 46th Psalm is this incredible psalm that when, when things are dark and when hope seems to have left the building, this is where people go to. And, and I'm not going to read the whole psalm to you. This, I want you to, to, to do that at home today. Read, the, read through the whole psalm. It, it's kind of a, an emotional roller coaster just a little bit. But halfway through it, he says, be still and know that I am God. See, the, the Israelites were, as they always are, they, they'd been having a, a horrible time. Um, their enemies were bearing down on them, and, and they wanted to beat their enemies. They're like, God, come and, and, and beat up our enemies. Like, you know, you call your dad, hey, come and beat up that kid down the street. And God's like, no, that's, that's not the way I operate. And he says, be still. Be still. Be still and know that I am God. My ways are the ways that we're going to do this. We're going to do this my way. We're not going to do it your way. You, you want to go and crush somebody. That, that's not the way I'm going to operate. I, I, I love those people that you want to crush. In fact, I'm going to send my son to die for them. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty, like the God of angel armies. Lord Almighty, that's what that means. The, the, the God of angel armies is with us. That alone should give you hope. The God of angel armies is with you. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Right? And again, be still. It's not what you might think. Because it's definitely not go take a nap while I handle things. It's definitely not just stay out of my way because you'll just mess things up and let me do everything for you. Definitely not take a break from obedience until you feel called <laughs> to love again. I've had that tell me so many. I feel God calling me not to love anymore. What? That's weird because I've never, ever, I don't believe he says that. Just, you know, whatever. Again, the question isn't whether we have work to do, right? It's not be still and don't do anything. I mean, we, we got work to do. You read the New Testament, we've got a lot of work to do. In fact, the work that we're going to do is going to bring hatred down on us. It's going to bring trouble down on our shoulders. It's going to make our burdens even greater because the world doesn't want to hear our message. As soon as we tell them that, hey, what you're doing, that's not very nice, they're going to go, I don't like you anymore. You just showed me something of myself that I didn't want to recognize, and I would just as soon ignore, but you brought it up, and I don't like you now. <laughs> Go away because you make me think that I'm bad, right? We got work to do. We definitely got work to do, but the question with all, the, all this, this hatred and everything eyeballing us, right, the question is, are we working hard or are we working smart, right? Working hard is trying to control what you can't control, Working hard is trying to secure your future by whatever means necessary, right? Violence, deceit, coercion, faithlessness, even declaring war on your neighbor. But working smart, working smart, on the other hand, is trusting in God's method and God's ways. Trusting that sacrificial love and service to our neighbor that we don't like very much. At the end of the day, you just watch and see who's standing at the end of the day. Here's what kicks, just, just 
gets me every time. God sent his son. Let me rephrase that. God himself walked into the enemy camp unarmed. Let me rephrase that. Armed only with love. Walked into the evil's camp, right, with all the the, the weapons of death and destruction at their disposal. Walked into death's camp and had it out. And death threw everything that it could at Jesus, everything it could. And they thought they won. And at the end of the day, who's left standing? Jesus is the only one left standing. The powers of this world will lose. The powers of this world will rob you of your hope. They will not give you the victory that you think they will. Love and sacrificial grace and forgiveness and mercy, those are the things that at the end of the day will be left standing. So what was the yoke and the burden of Jesus that promised this rest? And again, rest, you've looked at pretty clearly, is not, I need to take a nap. It's rest from working not wisely. Right? Trying to control things that you can't control. Well, first of all, let's take a look at the yoke. The yoke is basically the rules of the way that one had to follow in order to follow a certain rabbi. Every rabbi had what was called his yoke. Right? And that was his rules, his, his, the things that he believed that were the right interpretation of God. Right? So if you, you kind of looked around and you saw this rabbi and that rabbi and that rabbi and you looked at his yoke and his rules and his yoke and you had a choice, you could choose which rabbi you wanted to follow, which yoke looked appealing to you, which yoke did you believe represented God, and you would follow that rabbi. Now, the yoke of the Pharisees was simply too long, and it was impossible to keep. It was, it was just crazy, crazy long, right? You couldn't participate in life and remain faithful to the yoke of the Pharisees because it was so involved, right? You literally could not get to work and back home again without violating half a dozen rules, But the yoke of Jesus was simply to love Jesus and love your neighbor as yourself, right? As you would like to be loved. That's it. Sounds easy, huh? Sounds pretty easy, huh? Take another look, though. Check this out. The list of the Pharisees, even though it was extensive, a whole bunch of do's and don'ts, right? The thing about a list is theoretically you can get to the end of it. It's It's definite. You can finally arrive at number 50. Done. Now I'm going to go watch TV with my bottle of wine, right? It's done. But but look at the yoke of Christ. It had two rules. And again, it's easy like, oh, wow, it's only two rules. That's sweet. I like that yoke. Love God and love your neighbor. But contained in those two statements is an inexhaustible list. You can never stop. There's no... There's no way you can stop loving somebody. It is literally inexhaustible. If I tell you to love somebody, you don't just do one action, right? That doesn't exhaust love. Love is never exhausted. So this, 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 this yoke of Jesus, right, it sounds incredibly daunting. If you think about it for a minute, I got to love everybody. How about if I just don't hate anybody? Isn't that good enough? God says, no, I want you to love everybody even those that you don't want to love at all. That list would be crazy. Definitely many would lose heart and they would lose hope. But now let's take a look at the burden. Here's the kicker. Love this. Here's the burden, right? The burden is the task assigned to you by the rabbi. And, and, and I'm saying these very roughly, as simply as I can. They're a little bit more involved. 
But again, the burden is very similar to the yoke of the rabbi. The burden was basically the weight of the yoke. All right? Again, you look at Jesus' yoke, and at first sight, it looks like, wow, that's an easy burden. Two rules. I can do that. Right? My little sister could do that. But the burden of the Pharisees or the yoke of the Pharisees, that looks like it's overwhelming burden, right? That one looks super, super, super heavy. So the question was, was it a heavy burden, some yoke filled with lots of difficult rules or it was a light yoke that was a delight to carry? Now, here's the kicker. When it comes to somebody you love, let me ask you this. Is there any burden too heavy for you to carry? No. In fact, if you really love somebody, many times carrying that burden is a joy. It's a joy. It's like I get to serve somebody I love because they're not able to do it right. I get to bear their burden. I get to do that. I get the privilege of doing that. Love makes even the heaviest burdens light and a joy to carry. So it was a simple yoke, but it was quite heavy. But it was a joy to carry. It's a joy to carry. Now, one last thing about the yoke. It was meant to place you, or the burst of Beden, the beast of burden. Wow, that one came out all funny. Either you or the beast of burden in partnership with another, right? You're yoked. So the two of you are pulling together. Two's better than one, three. Better, you know, we all know this. The idea being that two could pull far more weight than the one. And in fact, this is what Paul is driving at in half a dozen of his letters. I think he touches on it in every single one of his letters. This one in Galatians. He says this in chapter 6, verse 2. It says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you'll fulfill the law of Christ. The reason the Back to Church Sunday is so incredibly important, such a huge weekend, is that we find hope. Right? When we recognize that we don't have to do this thing alone. We're yoked together. Right? I look around and I see a lot of really cool yoke mates. I wouldn't mind being yoked with you. In fact, if I read my scripture right, I am yoked with you. We're all yoked together. The rest that we find in Christ is experienced alongside others. And here's where the practicality of Paul really hits home. Paul's Like, he goes pretty theologically deep, but in every one of his letters, he gets just intensely practical also. Um, Putting on the new and discarding the old takes a bit of time, right? To discard a lifestyle that you have completely built around selfishness, building up, storing, having for your own, all of your thinking patterns, everything you do. and And then Christ says, I want you to live selflessly. That's a huge change in your life. I mean, it it, it changes everything. From the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed, everything is different. You can't continue your life as normal and just kind of add on something at this point. That would be literally impossible. This new life in Christ could be a huge burden as people shifted from a life built entirely around themselves to a life built around loving others. Every aspect of their lives changed, their relationships, their finances, everything changed from self-centeredness to selflessness, from working hard to working smart. But that takes time, right? We like to work hard. Something about it, that's the human condition. 
No, no, I, I don't want to be given anything. I want to work for it. And, oh, that's right. But pastor, pastor, what you're saying is, is now I've got to carry two burdens. Wait a minute. You said that you were going to give us rest this morning. Now you got me carrying two burdens. You got me carrying my burden, and now you got me carrying my neighbor's burden. How is this rest? This makes zero sense. It, it sounds so crazy, totally, totally counterintuitive. But Jesus says if we mourn with those that mourn, what happens? Overall mourning goes down. Joy goes up. When we laugh with people who are laughing, what does it do to their joy? It doesn't remain the same. It increases their joy, right? When we are with other people and we carry each other's burdens, the pain and sorrow of the entire community goes down and the joy of the entire community goes up. It's not you alone anymore. You affect everybody and everybody affects you. Jesus said, if a soldier asks you to carry his burden for a mile, carry it too. That's what he's driving at here. Why? To fulfill the love of Christ. I can't rest until you all are at rest. I can't stop carrying your burdens until Christ has removed those burdens from you. And we can all rest. We can all start working smart and stop working hard. Start working within his spirit. And I know, I know, on the face of it, it makes no sense whatsoever. Right, that this world is going to get by with love and not. <laughs> we know it doesn't make sense. Didn't make sense to Thomas, right? He's got a name doubting Thomas. I don't know if you're aware of this. Didn't make sense to John the Baptist either. In fact, in chapter 11, <clears throat> what we read you this morning, chapter 11, verses 28, 29, and 30, that's the end of the chapter. The whole chapter is really, that's the culmination of the chapter. And just very quickly, I just want to show you what this chapter is about. It's kind of crazy. Again, John the Baptist was having troubles with this Jesus guy. Um, when John, he was in prison because he had told Herod that you probably shouldn't be um, seducing your brother's wife. He didn't like that, so he put him in prison, right? So when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect somebody else? See, some think John the Baptist was impatient with Jesus, Right? When are you going to bring on the army? Right? When are you going to bring on the kingdom? Right? Where are the soldiers? Right? What, what, I mean, the disciples all the way to the very end, what, what do they keep asking? Are, are you going to restore the kingdom now? Do we get our crowns now? Do we get to tell people what to do now? Do we get to be the most powerful nation in the world now? Do we get to crush our enemies now? Finally, Jesus, do we get to kill our enemies? John the Baptist some writers think that he just looked at Jesus like, oh, man, put my money on the wrong pony. I'm about to lose my head, and he's about to get crucified on a Roman cross. I think I missed. I think I misread the situation. So John's in prison. He's, he's a little, little wigged out a little bit. He knows he's about to die. And, he, and in that position, he doesn't want to be in doubt. So he sends his disciples and again, that's just one thought. Some think, though, that he was asking this for his disciples because they had begun to question whether Jesus really was the one to come. Jesus answered, John's answer was this. If you have any doubts, go and see what he's doing. Right? Just go see. Go see. This is, in fact, verse 4, Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. Don't report back to what, what the authorities are saying. Don't report back what, even what I'm saying. Report back to what you see me doing. 
If anyone begins to argue with us about Jesus, question his supremacy, it's probably not a good idea to argue with them. A better tack might just go and see yourself. Go find out for yourself. Trust him. Trust him for a week. See what happens. I dare you. Go ahead. Dare people. Give your life to him. See what happens. Try his yoke and his burden, right? The burden of trying to control everything is a burden we're simply not meant to carry, right? It robs us of our hope. So here's what Jesus expected John's disciples to report back. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. And in describing what John's disciples will see and hear, they're looking around, and as they look around and they listen, Jesus is reminding John what he's reminding all of us. This is what Scripture says about me. Don't believe what the people are saying. Don't believe what the Pharisees are saying and the religious leaders are saying. This is what Scripture, John, John, this is what Scripture says about me, that the blind would receive sight when the Messiah comes. The lame would walk when the Messiah comes. See, the people had caught, got caught up in all that Messiah mania. When the Messiah comes, we're going we're gonna to crush everybody. We're going to be top dogs again. John's looking around, and he's thinking again, right? His ministry is going to end in failure. Jesus is going to end in failure. To John, it appears that evil will be the only thing left standing at the end of the day. But Jesus reminds John, and he reminds us, this is the way of the kingdom of God. This is the way the kingdom of hope works. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Verse 6, that's such a strange line kind of tacked on at the end. What he's saying is this. You look at me, Jesus Christ, and you look at my message of love, and in the back of your mind you're thinking, oh, man, if I buy into that, I'm, things aren't going to go well. That's not the way the world works. The world doesn't operate on love. That's pie in the sky. That's silliness. That's not the way the world works. And Jesus is telling John, look, you and many people thought I was here to crush enemies. That's not what I'm about. I'm here to love your enemy. That's the way we're going to win. And John the Baptist, even you, even you, if you can't accept that, this is the way my kingdom works. Don't stumble because of that, John. You think that it's all about power and it's all about might, but John, it's not. It's not, don't let my ministry make you stumble, John. And he says that to all of us. Don't make my ministry of love and forgiveness and mercy, even in your enemies, to your enemies. Don't think for a moment that, that, that at the end of the day, you're going to be ashamed of this. At the end of the day, I'm going to glorify you. And at the end of the day, you're going to be left standing. And evil will not be left standing. Hope will be left standing. But you've got to do it my way, John. You got to do it my way. Don't, don't be ashamed of my methods. My methods is what's going to give hope. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, we have hope because we have been yoked to Jesus by the power of his spirit. And we've also been yoked to each other by the power of his spirit. Right? You're not in this alone. 
If you stay at home week after week, though, you're, you're in this alone to a certain degree. So I want to encourage you, this back to, back to church series, this is where hope is found. You, you can try to drum it up all by yourself at home, but you weren't meant to. And you're going to grow weary, and you're going to eventually lose hope. But when you rub shoulders with people filled with hope, you know what it's like. Go hang around somebody who's just full of life, and you walk away, and you've got a little bit of life sticking to you, right? Where you walked in with nothing but death, you hang out with people with life, and you carry it off with you just a little bit. That's the power of the church. That's the power of the body. You've been yoked together. Be faithful to one another. Lift each other's burdens up. Pray for one another. Attend Sunday school classes together. Attend small groups together. Call each other during the week. Lift each other up. Bear each other's burdens. And in that way, we fulfill the love of Christ. Bow your heads. Father, thank you so much for John the Baptist, for your son, for your spirit. Um, Thank you so much that you've given us this privilege, this opportunity uh, to be yoked to your son Father, let us, let us be yoked with, with just a good pride. <laughs> just, just, just that we get to be yoked to your son. Father, we, we're just humbled. And we're just filled with gratitude this morning at your amazing grace. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name I pray.